So uh, we have some guests today, and they've been with us twice before. So this is uh, John and Sarah Phillips from Bay of Plenty, so we'll get them to come up now. I'm just going to ask them a couple of questions, then John's going to speak with us. So this is um, John and Sarah. We met them at Bible College probably 20-something years ago, maybe. So I'll just ask them a few questions, and then John will open up the word to us uh, from Romans. So um, can you both just tell us a little bit about your where you're born or where you grew up? This is great. This is the only time that I, I get the first first word, I think. Um, so I was born in uh, Manure or in, in Auckland, and um, Manurewa was my ba- is my base, um, but we did shift away from there. Um, my dad was a preacher, and um, so we spent a lot of time actually in in the mount, uh, which we Sarah and I went away and came back to. Something I like doing. My my oldest daughter rebuked me for my false religion. I started doing CrossFit a few years ago, and um, I saw a keen CrossFitter. <laughs> I'll talk to you about that if you're into it. Kia ora. No o te tahi te rohi o kutupuna, no reira ko auraki te mauka. I whanau mai au i hiritaunga, um, i riri atu taku ngā kau ki te tihi o te maunga, kei reira, uh, ko te mata, um, kei tauranga moana, mātou ko tōku whanau, noho ana o te rā, maua maunga. Ko au, ko koe, ko koe, ko au, uh, ko te nako o te rā, uh, whakatauki, ko te mahitahi. Um, ko te rā tōku ingoa. I'm Sarah, the last word. Um, <laughs> Um, my whānau is from Ōtautahi, um, but I was born in the Hawke's Bay, brought up there, and my heart still flies there at times. Um, we live in Tauranga Moana and love it. Um, something I love doing is hanging out with my uh, moko. Uh, we've got two moko that live down rudely in Kaikoura, but we get down there every chance that we get. Right. Thank you, Sarah. Now I'm going to pray for John, and then he's going to open up the word to us. Lord, we thank you for these people, and we thank you. Um, John has found home by never leaving it and believing in your word, that your word speaks, and we uh, pray, Jesus, you would speak to us today through John and through, most of all, through your word and your spirit, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for those kind words. Well, if you've got your Bibles there, um, you're going to need them this morning. Dear old St. Paul's right into his, his scriptures as well, so we're going to have to be flicking madly. If you've got your phones there with, um, with uh, a Bible downloaded as well, that might be, might be an option to get that, get that fired up and ready to go, because your thumbs might be, might be tired by the end of it. Grief. So much grief. Your mother, perhaps. Your daughter, your father, maybe your son or perhaps your spouse has rejected Christ. How could they do that? How could they? Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the the one who gives life. How could they reject him? How could he or she walk away from the source of goodness, truth, joy? Your heart aches, and perhaps sometimes you weep. This is the heartache, the unceasing anguish that Paul is experiencing as he wrestles with the reality that his people, that Israel, that only a remnant of Israel is 
following Jesus, is following their King, their promised Saviour, their Messiah. How could Israel, God's chosen people, turn away from their King, from their long-awaited King, when he arrived? How could they reject their Messiah? And of, all, of course, this discussion takes place in the middle of Romans, a letter from Paul to uh, Jewish and Greek or Gentile followers of Jesus in Rome. So, And listen again, let's remind ourselves again of the great theme which underpins this uh, letter, which Charlene has already prayed, I think, or spoken, where Paul says in chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek, also to the Greek, people like us. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what do we do then when our loved ones reject Jesus? What do we do when a group, our people, our people reject Jesus? These are important questions, particularly now in this land, where we kind of get a sense that the culture is stepping away from um, Jesus and Christian faith. Even They may even think of us at times, see us as an enemy of the good and the true. So what do we do when our people reject Jesus? Let's turn to Romans 10, verses 16 to 21, which is kind of in the middle of this big discussion. Uh, thank you. So Romans 10, verses 16 to 21. I might back it up to verse 13, actually. Yep, verse 13. I'll start kicking at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And, out, uh, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And now our passage. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. And he says that with tears in his eyes. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Lord, we ask that your spirit will speak, continue to speak through this word which you have breathed out for us. So, when your people reject Jesus, when our people reject Jesus, we must be confident 
in the word of Christ. Tremble with fear and hope and continue to enjoy God. So verses 16 and 17, be confident in the word of Christ. If I'm talking to someone about Jesus and they're not a follower or if, or they do not like the church or something like that, I am always tempted to water down the message. I don't know about you, but I feel like I need to soften the gospel, take away out the hard bits, try and make it acceptable to them. But that is not the way here. Paul, as you will have known, as he stepped us through the gospel for 10 chapters, he does not step away from the hard things. He does not water down the gospel. He tells it like it is. So in this passage we, where Paul is struggling with Israel's rejection of Jesus, he doesn't water down the gospel. In fact, he says, the cross was no accident. He's quoting Isaiah 53. He's saying that the, the rejection by Israel of Jesus was foretold. It was actually part of the story of Jesus' death, which atones for our sins. Here's a, here's a taste of what Paul says about, of Isaiah says about the suffering servant Jesus. And I imagine Paul would have unpacked these texts as he, when he gets to Rome or when he goes to visit various cities. You know how he used to lecture in, at lunchtime. I imagine that these texts which he's referencing here, he would unpack them and teach them to, his, to, the, to the congregations in those times. So in Isaiah 53, I'll just remind you of some of the story there. Isaiah talks about our, the suffering servant, about Jesus, and he says, he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, that peace we were singing about, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The heart of the gospel of the word of Christ, the good news about Christ, is the fact, is the message that Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve. That we not only deserve, that we have earned. The one who is fully human and fully God is the one who is uniquely qualified to take our place. And in verse 17, the word of Christ that Paul is speaking about is the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And the simplest confession of, of faith, Paul quote, um, states back up in verse 9, where he says, the simplest confession of our faith, of the word of Christ, is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And if you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, You'll be saved. You'll be saved. However, when that gospel is rejected, I'm tempted to preach false gospels. And we are tempted, or the church is rejected, is tempted to preach false gospels. For example, the health and wealth gospel. Your best life now is not the gospel. For Presbyterians, one of our nice little heresies, the power 
of positive thinking is not the gospel. Nor is Jesus the great Marxist, or Jesus the great moral teacher, or Jesus the Democrat, or Jesus the Republican. None of them is the gospel. The word of Christ is the gospel. The word of Christ, the word about our crucified and risen Savior, is the good news. This is the word on which we stand, the life, death, resurrection, and return of our Lord Jesus. We trust in that Jesus, we trust in that Jesus with repentant faith. If our loved ones walk away from Christ or reject Christ or are indifferent to him, the temptation is to change the gospel, to make it more civilized, to make it more entertaining, to make it more marketable. But if we do this, people, we are not being compassionate. We are guilty of preaching a false gospel which cannot save, and we risk, the reality is we risk sending people to judgment without a saviour. So we must not water down the gospel, the good news. Because as Paul says, it is the power of God to salvation to those who believe. Now let's talk about how we might apply this. Do we have a brief gospel summary that we can use? You know, there's times when we, um, an evangelist talks about crossing the pain line and asking a spiritual question or so on. But every now and again, we get the chance to share the gospel. It might not be very often these days, but every now and again, we get the chance to share. So what do we have a little gospel summary up here? If not, perhaps we can learn one. I've got one because I've got a bad memory. The one for me, go, I use my fingers so I can remind myself. It's God, sin, Christ, faith, life. And there's a lot of unpacking around each of those points. And you might only want to talk about one of those points. But in my head, there's God, holy, true, good, just, all that stuff. There's our sin, our rebellion, our rejection of the creator, God, sin, Christ, God in the flesh. God come to us to save us. God's in Christ. Faith, we need to have faith and trust. And then new life, the new life that we experience now and that we look forward to. God's in Christ, faith, life. You might have some, there's lots of different gospel summaries. One of them will resonate with you and be easy, easier to remember. Another thought, our church events, our church programming, what we're doing as a church. Do we ask ourselves when we're programming, thinking about what we're doing as small groups or whatever, is there space in this activity to just engage with the people who don't know Jesus? Is there space to engage, to get to know people? And is there space for the evangelists among us to get alongside people, enjoy their company, and just be able to move, find out where they're at and move them one step closer to Jesus? If our people... If our tribe doesn't follow Jesus, we still have confidence in the gospel, the word of Christ, because it is the power of God for our salvation. If that is so, Paul asks, and he sobs, I think, why, why don't my people believe? Have they not heard, he asks. Have they not heard? Has Israel not heard? And the answer should make us tremble a bit with fear, and with hope. 
verses 18 to 20 should make us tremble with fear and hope. Paul answers his own question with a quote from Psalm 19. And he says, yes, the word of God has gone out to everywhere. And by that, I assume he means not every individual, but out to the whole Roman Empire. And in New Zealand, we live here in a similar situation. Has the word gone out? Well, for 200 years in this land, the gospel has been preached. So the word has gone out. Have your loved ones heard the good news? I would suspect most of them have. Most of them have. Some of them will have come to you with church from come to you, come to church with you year after year, and yet somehow they've not responded to the good news. I suspect that by quoting Psalm 19, Paul, read it later if you if you want to, Psalm 19, he's he's also reminding the church of the first few chapters of Romans, where he says, even if the gospel, even without the gospel, creation stands in judgment because the knowledge of God just sings forth in creation. The beauty, the power, the invisible attributes of God sing forth in creation. And so that all of us are without excuse because the evidence for God is around us. We can see it. And even more than that, the law of the Lord has been revealed to Israel. So they're without excuse. So, People have heard. So what's gone wrong? And Paul says, well, perhaps we ask ourselves that. Perhaps we think, did I take them to church too much? Was I too mean? And then all of us will think, well, perhaps I was, I'm such a hypocrite that they don't believe. Or perhaps we might ask the other question, Are we, were we too soft on them? If only I disciplined them properly. We ask ourselves, what did I do wrong? And of course, with People that we know who don't know Christ, of course we've done things wrong and we need to confess and there'll be things we need to reconcile. But like Israel, many who are indifferent and unbelieving have heard the good news. And so Paul asks in verse 19, well, if they heard, did they not understand? And Paul's answer is no. This rebellion and he calls it rebellion, is a pattern of behavior that Israel has displayed from the beginning. And if we we're honest, each one of us displayed from the beginning before God rescued us. So Israel rebelled in the desert. Yahweh's sons and daughters were unfaithful in the desert and were unfaithful in the land so this pattern of rejection which Paul sees is nothing new. And you will also see, we will see it in our own hearts as well, won't we? Paul references Deuteronomy 32, again a, chapter, a passage that really is worth reading. Here's some of Moses' words in chapter 32. He nourished him, he's talking about Israel, with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag. Yet... They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their saviour, despite the tender mercy of God. God's covenant people rejected him. People of God hear this word and tremble. If we follow strange gods, he will remove his glory from us. I stand here this morning as an elder in a church 
or in a denomination where I believe that chastening has happened. Um, at one time, my denomination was a revival. Do you believe it? Presbyterians were a revival church, revivalists for 300 years, wave after wave of revival spread through the churches, initiated by men and women on their knees in prayer for hours, days of prayer, that and God's glory, um, mercy brought, brought revival. Do you believe it? And this is it now. Because we lost our way, we lost confidence in the authority of Scripture, we began to doubt the resurrection, we were embarrassed by the virgin birth and the return of Christ, we became ashamed to talk about God's wrath and judgment. God went elsewhere. So when we hear these words, we tremble. We don't rely on the fact of the name of our church. We're not saved by being part of Wainui Beach Church. We're saved because we have repentant faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're grafted into God's covenant people by the word of Christ, by faith in Christ. When we hear these words, we tremble, but we also have hope. Because when a people turn away from God, God uses their rebellion to his glory. And this has happened in our time. When the so-called Christian enlightened West is turned away from God, God's spirit is gone and brought a tremendous, um, tremendous harvest in China and Africa and in South America. The so-called enlightened West rejects God and God goes elsewhere. So when people, our people reject Christ, we tremble in fear and hope. Fear of his judgment and hope in his saving purposes, which transcend human sin. And finally, in verse 21, when our people reject Jesus, continue to enjoy, continue to enjoy God's blessing. My temptation is to get mopey and gloomy and despairy. That does not attract people to faith. Continue to seek after and enjoy God's blessing. Paul is quoting Isaiah 55 when, where he says, all day long, all day long, God is holding out his hands in invitation. And I was thinking about this, about a cricket field. What happens in a cricket field? The ref, the umpire stands there, and it's the, the player that implores the ref. But the, the role's reversed. The ref, God, is holding out his hands imploring and welcome come back my people all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people how long will God hold out his hands all day long in the strange mercy of God we see God using his judgment as a means of grace and I'm talking saying this because I'm looking forward to Romans 11. Paul reflects on Moses' words in Deuteronomy and Isaiah, and he concludes that good has come and will come from the inclusion of the Gentiles. And I'm applying that, that line of thinking, those words from Isaiah, and applying them to our own situation and saying, and saying that seeking God, enjoying God, may well be the means by which God brings 
people back to him. Often we hear testimonies about someone who's saved, brought to faith. The family scoff, but over time as they see the beautiful results of faith, they are drawn to faith as well. So, enjoy God's blessing and pray that the joy you experience in him will awaken a thirst in hardened hearts, a thirst for the joy that you're experiencing. God's people, seek joy when we gather together. Seek it for God's sake. Seek it for our sake. Seek it for others' sake. I want us to uh, respond today and um, have that opportunity, uh, everyone, just in your own heart. Uh, Philip Yancey, the author, said, um, follows through a history of history of the faith and where it started in Palestine and Israel and up to different places, the West, uh, then the Third World. And he kind of summarizes by this. It seems to me that God goes to where he is wanted. And that's our question today for us. Do we want him? Do I want him? And um, I'm going to give us just a chance for a couple of minutes just to reflect on that. And if, if the answer is yes, to say in your own heart, yes, I want, I want him today. Yeah, let's do that for a little while. Eh?